Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking His kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. All right. So we are in our Eternal Hope series. As I mentioned the first week that we started this series, we're certainly not answering every single question that everyone has. This did start with questions, and so that's a big part of like doing our best to provide a response to some of the questions that we all naturally have about the afterlife and about heaven. Um, so we're approaching this series uh, addressing four big questions. They're going to be up on the screen. Why are we hopeless about heaven and eternity? Where will we spend eternity? What will we do for all eternity? And how does an eternal hope impact our lives today? So in week one, we walked through uh, a set of false worldviews about the afterlife that have kind of snuck into our thinking through culture, media, uh, even through religion, uh, Christianity at times, that have led us to um, many misunderstandings about what heaven, what the Bible actually teaches about heaven. Um, It's a common idea that heaven will be this place where we as disembodied spirits will live in the clouds. Uh, we may be alone or isolated in those clouds. We may play a harp. Uh, we'll probably be bored out of our mind forever. And uh, I found that a lot of people have that idea of heaven or, or a, a version of that. And it's a super depressing thought, right? Um, so many of us avoid the topic of heaven. We don't talk about it. Um, As a church, we don't talk about it with our kids sometimes. We certainly don't meditate on it or find our hope or excitement uh, in the thought of it because uh, oftentimes we have a lot of kind of strange or tweaked theology that's not based on what the Bible actually teaches. So in week one, we walked through a series of common worldviews that have shaped many of uh, the ways our culture views the afterlife. Um, And then we saw how Scripture actually had a very different and a much more hopeful teaching for us than what these isms, I call them, uh, have for us. So uh, Platonism, uh, the false teaching that it has on eternity is it says that the physical world is bad, that the spiritual world is good, the physical world is bad, and so we should try and abandon the physical world and just put our hope in a spiritual existence. New Ageism teaches that the afterlife is impersonal, that there's no person in, in, in control of anything, that there is higher power or the universe, you know, uh, I think the force in, in Star Wars, but just kind of an impersonal force that kind of provides energy in the universe. And so it's this picture of the afterlife as just being this impersonal existence. Naturalism teaches that, hey, death is all there is. After you die, that's it. Secular humanism is a worldview that says that, hey, The human project and what we see in things like democracy and things like that are actually uh, give us hope for fixing and repairing all the brokenness in the world, in our society. Um, But it says that we can do that apart from a God or morality that would come from a God. We can define morality on our own. Uh, Nihilism is a teaching that life is meaningless. There's no point to it. So kind of wonder why bother, but that's what it teaches, you know, that there's no actual order or meaning or purpose to this life or any future life. And then universalism is a teaching that says that um, heaven is real and everyone is going. And that's the view of of, uh, universalism. And so, but we saw that actually the Bible has a direct teaching against all of these false teachings. It's actually much more hopeful and better and reorders and reframes our theology. So the 
the biblical worldview to Platonism is that actually God is going to create a new heavens and new earth where we will dwell here in a recreated physical state. So your physical body is not bad, it is fallen. This physical world is not bad, it is just fallen and broken by sin and by the curse. It needs to be redeemed and restored, not eliminated. New Ageism, uh, God is not impersonal. God is a person, and he has created us to exist in perfect community, and that's what we can look forward to and hope for in the new heavens and new earth. Naturalism, uh, death is not the end of our story, whether you're a believer or a not believer. Like, after you die, like, God will raise you uh, again, and you will face judgment, and then you will either spend eternity in heaven or in hell separated apart from God. Uh, but you, as a human, were designed to live forever. You were designed for eternity. Your spirit and your body will live for eternity. Secular humanism, uh, that humans have got this. We're fixing it. We're going to do it. We're going to be moral on our own. Actually, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the one who is making all things new. And so it's good for us to desire and want to see a world that is remade and recreated and good and moral. Uh, but uh, Jesus is the one who is making that happen. Uh, nihilism says life is pointless, it's meaningless. The Bible says it's not pointless. You were made for a purpose, and your purpose is worship. That's what you were created for, and that's actually really hopeful. We'll talk about that more today. And then universalism uh, says that heaven is for everyone, but actually the Bible teaches that heaven is for those who have confessed their sin, placed their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that those people who have had their names written into a book called the Lamb's Book of Life, which is how... In the final judgment, uh, uh, names will be read from that. And if you placed your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus, um, then you're in that book. And so that's good and hopeful. But we need to be careful that we don't just believe a message of universalism, that heaven is for everyone, and that is our default location as human beings, because that's not what the Bible teaches. And so we need to have a right understanding of what the Bible teaches on that. Okay, so uh, that was week one. We talked through that. Um, and so if we correct our theology, we're hoping that we can stir our imagination and our excitement for what God has planned for us in a future new heavens and new earth. And our belief is that it will make us a more hopeful people, not just for the, our future, but for now. People with a greater desire to want to share our hope of what we believe and what Jesus has done for us with other people that we encounter in this life now, because what God has prepared for those who love him is exciting and it's great. Uh, so that was week one. And then last week, Ben did a lot of heavy lifting for us and walking us through the scripture that we've been primarily focused on in this teaching series. And we've been looking at uh, the bookends of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 uh, with uh, uh, the Garden of Eden, and then Revelation 21 and 22, which is uh, the new heavens and new earth. And so these bookends of the Bible. And the reason why we're looking at these passages is because um, they both give us a good picture of what it looks like for mankind to dwell in a physical location um, with God and without sin, without all of the bad stuff that happens with sin. So Ben tackled the question of where we will be for eternity, and the answer for those who have placed their trust in Jesus is physical, recreated, new heaven and new earth, a place where these two places have come together. Um, so when you want to imagine what heaven looks like, you don't need to imagine a house in the clouds and existence in the clouds, you can look around at this planet that we all love um, and imagine what it would be like to live here without any of the corruption or brokenness. And also imagine this is a place where Jesus would live and physically embody and walk this place with us. 
So that kind of recaps things. That brings us to our question that we're tackling today, which is number three, what will we do for all eternity? When, we, uh, when I kicked off this teaching series a couple weeks ago, I shared a little bit of uh, some of my story and how in my story I've had a lot of fear and anxiety about heaven and about eternity. And if I'm honest, um, for a lot of my life, I felt like when I died or when Jesus would return, that that would be the end of my joy and contentment and excitement for life because I couldn't imagine finding joy for all of eternity, forever, because it was just such a long, unending amount of time, and it just didn't compute to me. And so in my mind, I was thinking, I get bored of things so quickly and so easy, so what am I going to do forever that will not just drive me crazy? Um, So I viewed my current life uh, as the end of the good story for me, and also I wrestled with this idea that if there's no sin in heaven, uh, then there's no conflict in heaven. And that, doesn't that mean that like heaven will be, that will also make heaven boring if there's no conflict or any tension or anything like that? But believing that heaven is boring actually reveals a heresy in our hearts that, uh, do you know what it is? The heresy? Any ideas? It reveals a heresy in our hearts. If we believe that heaven is boring, it reveals that we believe that God is boring. Um, and it reveals a belief that sin is actually what brings pleasure and makes our lives exciting. Um, it's a false worldview that in order to have intimacy, there needs to be lust. In order to have abundance, you can't have that without greed. You can't have authority without abuse. So you can't have fun and enjoyment without sin, you know? Um, and that's the same lie that Satan told to Adam and Eve in the garden, He said something along the lines of, there's a way to live that God is keeping from you that is actually better than what he's telling you about. Don't you want to experience something much better than what you currently are, Adam and Eve? Because God is actually keeping you from the good life out there. That's what Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve, that there was something better that God was preventing from them. And we believe a lot of that about heaven, about the new heavens and new earth. Or I I did, or I have, if I'm being honest. But the truth is that sin doesn't make your life interesting. It makes it empty. Sin leads to boredom. It doesn't create a life of adventure. It robs your life of beauty and adventure. And any true fulfillment and joy that you have experienced in this life and any true joy and contentment that you'll experience in the new life will be a gift from God. And there is a place where there will be eternal monotony, dissatisfaction, and boredom, but it's not heaven It's not where God is. It will be hell where God, his presence is not there. And so I want you to know and believe that this drive for pleasure that we all have, like we all want to experience pleasure. That is not a bad thing. That is not a warped thing. That is actually something from God, that God created you with desires for um, pleasure, for wanting to experience good and exciting things. That's that's not bad. That's good. That's part of your God-given identity. He's the one who created you with dires, desires like this, and he's the one who knows how to actually truly fulfill those desires. He's not trying to ruin the fun or keep you from all the fun that sin has to offer. And I know that sounds crazy when I say it out loud, but 
a lot of us believe that in a lot of ways. Or you think that like being a Christian or following Jesus or hoping in heaven, like that sounds, that sounds boring, you know? But it's not. Um, it wasn't until I began, uh, I became an adult that God began to correct this belief in my heart, this uh, false teaching. And one of the uh, things that he used to stir my heart and imagination for eternity was the book series, The Chronicle of Narnia. We got any Chronicles of Narnia fans in here? Nope, everyone hates it. Nope, we do. Okay, good. All right. <clears throat> so uh, the final book of that series is called The Last Battle. And Narnia is kind of this parallel storytelling of what happens at the end, uh, or this book, The Last Battle, is about a parallel story, uh, storytelling of what happens at the end of this alternate world called Narnia. And the final paragraph of that book is one of my favorites in all, all books. Uh, and I'm going to read it now. Um, so I am going to ruin the end of this series for you. Let's be honest, it's been out for 70 years, Teddy. Uh, and you probably already know, Aslan is Jesus. Um, he wins uh, the last battle in Narnia, and then he recreates a new Narnia. Okay, so that's where we're picking it up. And this is the last paragraph of that series. It's going to be on the screen. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at least they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Man, I just, I just love that. Thinking about a story that I would begin when I get to heaven in God's presence, in Jesus' presence, in which every chapter for eternity is better than the next. <clears throat> I think that if we stop believing that the end of this current life is the end of our story and start believing that God has something bigger and something better planned for us, and that he is a God who is able to sustain our joy, meet our joy and our satisfaction, and sustain our attention and excitement forever, that that gives us a more hopeful view and a better view of what God actually has in store for us in eternity. So believe it or not, that was my introduction. So I'm going to pray for us now, and we'll... It's like half, halfway done, but anyway, I'm going to pray for us. God, we thank you, uh, God, for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the hopeful picture that we have uh, for what you're preparing for us in new heaven and new earth, God. And uh, we just pray that you would bless this time of teaching. In your name we pray, amen. So question for the parents in the room, or kids, you know, you can jump in too. How long do you have to be with your kids on a Saturday without anything on the calendar before they ask you this question? I'm bored, what are we going to do? Yes, Teddy, how long? Five minutes. That's been my experience as well. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's true. Or maybe a more pointed question for all the adults in the room. Uh, how long do you have to sit down at the end of a long day before you begin to desire to maybe pick up your phone and begin uh, scrolling through the news or social media? Maybe you want to click on Netflix and watch some TV or something like that. I mean, not very long. Kids are down. I'm like, great. All right, let's go move on to the next thing. Let's fill our time with something better. Um, so the reality of being human means that you actually were created to inhabit space and time. 
both in this life now, but also in the life in the future. So you were created to exist in a physical place with a physical body, but you were also created to fill time with activity. You're created to do things. Um, and it's not an uncommon belief that when we get to heaven, this idea that time will be no more. Have you guys heard that? Time will be no more? I was trying to like look it up. I think, it, I, I think there's an old like King James reference uh, that kind of was misleading that has been kind of recorrected in newer translations. And then a couple uh, old hymns that kind of allude to time being no more. Um, but the Bible actually doesn't talk about time not existing in heaven. The Bible actually, in heaven, there's actually several mentions of increments of time. For example, like there is a silence for a half hour in heaven. And so there's, there's a lot of indication that like time actually s- still happens. Maybe we experience it differently, but uh, uh, to a certain degree, like it's still happening. We'll still like experience a progression of time. So I want to talk about how we will fill space and time in heaven. And I want to start with a picture of what I believe it will not be like. Um, does anyone in here, especially kids, do any of you, have you seen the Pixar movie WALL-E? Yeah. Yes? Okay. Is it one of your favorite Pixar movies? Yeah. Uh, Forts love it. I know that. It's not one of the ones on heavy rotation in the Tatum household, if I'm being honest. Uh, but it came to mind, and I was thinking about it um, as I was preparing for this teaching, and as I was doing research on this film, I discovered that the writer of, of WALL-E is actually a Christian. Uh, he was also the writer and the director, which I thought was really interesting. And uh, it makes sense because in this movie, there's all this like Eden uh, language and new creation and rebirth and repopulating the earth and things like that. And so for those of you who have not seen WALL-E, Wally this is it. <clears throat> Wally takes place on Earth in a dystopian future uh, along a way where humans have destroyed the Earth with our pollution, with our consumerism, and so they have abandoned Earth. Uh, and they have moved into a um, utopian kind of uh, spaceship. It's in space. Um, it's controlled by AI, which is kind of weird and creepy. Um, and... Uh, I lost my place. Oh, Wally, this guy right here, he's our main character. He is this lonely robot who is left on Earth, and his job is to tend to the trash that we have left behind as humans in civilization. And as he's tending to the trash one day, he scoops some up, and he sees this plant, this plant growing. There's not been any plant life because humans eradicated all of the life from the Earth, and there's this little plant growing. And he's so excited, and he captures it, and he goes and puts it in a potted plant, and he starts to take care of it. And then there's this new sleek robot who gets sent to Earth from the humans. And her name is, does anyone else know? Eva. Kind of sounds like Eve, yeah. Kind of getting a little bit of that right here. So she becomes his companion, and the two of them are brought back, transported back to this human spaceship. I promise this has a purpose. Uh, And when it's discovered that they found this plant, they get beamed back to the spaceship. And then we get to see these humans who are living in this utopia. And I thought about just trying to like describe it to use it as a sermon illustration, but I thought it would be more fun if we just watched a clip from Wally. Kids, you want to watch a clip from Wally? Okay, here we go. All right. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so this clip is, I thought it's kind of funny, right? Um, it's not representing heaven, but I think that it was, as I was thinking about it and watching this clip, I can't help but think that many of us kind of view heaven uh, like this in a way. 
that when we die or when Jesus returns, that we get beamed up to an alternate location, a sky or in space somewhere where our every desire is met. You know, we just, I want to wear blue. I want to shade, you know, and it, uh, everything's easy. And that that is like this picture of like utopia and perfection. And obviously they're, you know, in Wally, they're poking at that idea. Um, but the other thing about, you know, this picture of like utopia is that um, it's all about us. It's all about the person, you know, and getting every like immediate little desire. And there's something really like off, off-putting about all that. Obviously, they're painting like a dystopian picture here, right? Um, but I thought it was a helpful kind of picture of like some of those things that creep into our minds and that we believe about like heaven being uh, just this place where I just snap my fingers and get every immediate thing that I want. I don't have to do any work. I don't do anything productive. I just sit and just receive content and things like that. But that is not the picture that the Bible gives us about eternity. So last week, Ben uh, took us through the creation story, and we saw that on the first three days of creation that God created spaces, and then on the next three days of creation that he created corresponding things to fill those spaces. So on day one, God created light and dark, and then on day four, after he created that space, he created sun, moon, and stars to fill that space and to rule that space. On day two, he made this space of sky and waters, and then on day five, he created birds and fish to fill that space. On day three, God created the land by separating it from the waters and created this space, and then he filled that space with plants, with animals, and with people. Um, to fill that space. And so um, something interesting happens here, though, between days six and seven. Um, Day seven, obviously, is God creates, he stops, and he rests. But let's read uh, from the Bible in Genesis chapter one. It's going to be on the screen, starting in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds uh, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him and God blesses, blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And, and it was so. So, what does God do here? You see it? God delegates authority and responsibility to mankind in Eden. He gives man um, a vocation. Man is to tend to the creation that God has made, to the space that God has put him in. And what's the first activity that mankind does on his very first day in his existence. Mankind is made on which day? Sixth day. And what happens on day seven? Let's look at it. Uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work 
that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first day of man's existence was rest, Sabbath rest, no work. Mankind got to start their lives by enjoying the work that God had already done. They'll get to work the next day, and they'll start cultivating God's creation and community, um, but God starts their existence with, in creation with rest, with Sabbath. So you may be wondering right now, uh, this is a teaching series on heaven, so why um, are we spending so much time in Genesis? And that's a good question. Um, and the reason why is because much of the way that the Bible describes the new heaven and new earth is very much um, Eden, a new Eden that God is recreating. Um, so we can learn a lot about new creation, new heavens, new earth from the Eden story. In the creation story, we see God making man and woman and putting them in this perfect place, and then he delegates authority and responsibility to them, but he also allows them to rest and to benefit from the work that he's already done, right? It wasn't until mankind sinned that all this work uh, and the relationships and all the rest and all of the created experience went off the rails. So work becomes hard. It becomes toil. Um, it becomes broken. Relationships become broken. Uh, relationships become abusive and violent. So you may think that you hate work, but I would argue that the idea of work is actually not a bad thing. You may not hate work, but you actually may hate the curse's impact on work. You may hate the idea of rest. You may hate the idea of taking a Sabbath uh, and stopping, uh, that may sound excruciating to you. But um, what you hate is the fact that the curse has given you a warped relationship with rest, is what I would argue. You, as a human, were made to be a co-creator. You were made to be a cultivator of God's creation. And you were also made to rest and enjoy God's creation. And you weren't made to do it alone, so that's good news. God created uh, Eve for Adam. Um, and he calls them to be fruitful and to multiply. Um, humans were called and created to exist in community. God says that's good. And the reason why is because God exists in community. The Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, is uh, a community that has existed into eternity past. Um, so in the new heavens, new earth, God doesn't get rid of things like rest and work. I know that's maybe bad news for some people, but we're going to try and See what we can do about that. He also doesn't get rid of relationships, even though they're broken. Um, what he does instead is remake them and recreate them. So here uh, is a list of four things. Uh, this is not exhaustive, but four categories of things that I think, we'll, I think we'll do in heaven. We'll rest. We'll work and create. We'll feast and fellowship. We will worship. So uh, I just want to talk through each of these uh, four things uh, briefly to kind of ramp down our time in this teaching together. So rest uh, is a regular practice of stopping to enjoy God's provision and his blessing in our lives. So that's not going to stop in eternity. There will still be rest um, in eternity. In fact, here is the invitation that Jesus gives uh, his followers in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
What is a yoke? Does anyone know? Kids, yoke. Do you guys use yokes often? Do you have one of those in your garage? Conley, you know what a yoke is? Yes. That's right. Yep, Ted, you got something to add to that? That's a different, that's a yolk with an L. This is a yolk, Y-O-K-E. Also correct, but different yolk. We are talking about this one that's used with oxen. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a harness of ice that you would put between two oxen so that they could share the load carrying a big heavy cart together, right? So uh, Jesus is uh, talking about both rest and work kind of together here, which is really interesting, I think. Um, but when he does talk about work, uh, it's easy and it's light because Jesus is the one who is doing the hard work. He's already done the hard work on the cross when he broke the power of curse and sin, when he's remaking this world. But he invites us into that work with him in partnership with him, which I think is really, really cool. So in Jesus's presence, there will be rest um, uh, and there will also be work. So just as God delegated authority and responsibility to mankind in the Genesis story, he also will do so in the new creation story, in Revelation, and in the new heaven and new earth. So we will rule and reign the new creation with Jesus for his glory. And what is included in new creation? Any ideas? Any guesses? What's included in new creation? Anything that God creates. So is it limited to this earth? Nope, it's not. The entire universe, you know, probably things that we don't even... We can't even comprehend or understand right now. Um, new creation will include everything that God has created and that he is redeeming. Um, check this out. In uh, Luke 19, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. Are you all familiar with the parable of the talents? Also, a talent is a form of currency. Uh, could also be a mina, I believe, uh, if you're familiar with minas over talents. Um, so there's this parable in the Bible that Jesus is talking about in Luke 19, um, and it's a picture of what faithful stewardship of God's resources looks like. And Jesus is talking about a lot of like future forward, like new kingdom uh, type of language in this section. So a lot of commentators believe that a lot of this teaching points to the future reality for us in heaven. Um, so the story, uh, I'm not gonna, we're not going to read the whole thing, but uh, there's this master who represents God, and he entrusts resources, minas, or uh, talents, to some of his servants, and he gives them various levels of currency, and they're supposed to do something with it, be productive with it while he's away. And so he leaves and entrusts them with these resources, and then he comes back, and this is where we check in on the story in verse 17 of Luke 19. And he said to them, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said, and you are to be over five cities. So there's this picture in the story of like God entrusting them with some resources and some currency. And two of the servants went out and they made good use of it. They were productive with it. They, they created and invested and made, bought property and expanded and extended it by using their creativity. And then there was uh, and those, those two servants, they were entrusted with cities uh, that they would be over. And then there was another servant who uh, didn't do anything with it. He just buried it in the ground because he was nervous uh, that the master would be harsh with him. And God actually came down hard on him and said, like, you should have at least invested 
my resources in something to produce something else. Um, and so there's this picture and this aspect within this parable where we see God wants us to take his creation and he invites us to cultivate it, to make something new and to extend uh, his creation into something that honors him and blesses him. And oftentimes, he doesn't even give us direct instruction on exactly how we're to go about doing that or what we're to do. He didn't leave the servants with that. Um, but he invites us to use our creative capacity that he has created us with, which I think is really cool and exciting. So believers in the new heaven and new earth will not only be responsible for cultivating a garden without thorns and thistles and without the curse, but will cultivate the entire new heaven and new earth. We use the word cultivate because it's based around using our creativity and effort that makes something that glorifies God. Um, just without all the toil and hardship and all the broken stuff that comes along with work. So it's just all the rewarding and fulfilling aspects of work that we enjoy when we're like really engaged in something that's really meaningful. Um, just none of the hardships and failures that come because of the curse. So what kind of work will you do in heaven? Anyone have ideas? Possibilities are pretty endless. It's heaven. There's lots of options. Uh, what they won't involve is things dealing with sin or brokenness or death. Uh, those things are done away with, right? So there won't be doctors that treat cancer. There won't be funeral home directors. There's no need for that. But songwriters and artists and writers and chefs and builders and winemakers and developers and tradesmen and athletes and explorers and gardeners, um, I see no reason why those things and those roles and activities won't be a possibility in heaven and very fulfilling ways for us to fill our time and glorify God with our actions. Interesting fact, uh, trivia question. Uh, does anyone know who the first person in scripture who is actually mentioned as being filled with the Holy Spirit? It is a man by the name of uh, Bezalel in Exodus. Uh, he was charged with making the beautiful artifacts for the temple. He's a craftsman. And he's the first person in the Bible that actually it actively says that God indwelled him, like filled him with his Holy Spirit so that he could be a craftsman to make beautiful things. And I think that's just a cool, cool picture and a foretaste of, of what we can expect in heaven. So uh, we'll work and we'll create. The next thing, we'll feast and we'll fellowship. In Revelation 19, we're given a, a picture of heaven as a wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom and the church collectively is referred to as the bride of Christ. Uh, how many people have been to a wedding here? Pretty much everybody. Did you have fun at that wedding? Weddings are a ton of fun. Uh, my wedding day was possibly the greatest day of my life. Nicole and I say that we would love to relive that day over and over again. Um, Weddings are fun. Uh, you laugh, you play, you, you dance, you drink together. It's, it's a good time. And so that's, I think, a cool picture of what we can expect and experience in heaven. Um, there'll be laughter in heaven, enjoyment in heaven. Uh, the wedding feast in heaven, uh, the Bible talks about it being a large guest list. So you will exist in heaven with Jesus and with other believers. In fact, you will never experience loneliness again. You'll experience perfect community in heaven. 
And this isn't just one homogenous group of people that we see in the story in Revelation in the new heaven and new earth. The Bible says that heaven will be filled with a multitude of people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and all languages. So what I think is so cool about that is that we'll get to experience all these beautiful and unique aspects of human culture, things that like make distinct African culture and Asian culture and American culture unique and distinct, that there'll be aspects of that and the people that are comprised from those people groups that get brought into new creation and that we get to experience together, which I think is so cool. Um, last uh, thing that we're going to cover off on, um, our time will be spent in the new heavens, new earth uh, in worship. And I alluded to this in the uh, first week when I uh, kicked off the series. I think that oftentimes... Um, I have thought this. I'm not going to put this on you guys. We think about eternity or heaven as a never-ending church service, a sermon that just goes on and on and on and on, or singing that goes on and on and on, um, a hymn with like an unlimited amount of verses. And meeting and gathering as the church, uh, singing and worshiping God, taking communion, doing all these things, fellowshipping together, this is worship. This is a part of worship, and it's an important part of worship. But I also think that sometimes we can have a kind of a, a narrow view of what counts as worship. And so it may give us a limited view of what we will do in heaven if what we are experiencing is continual worship. So I want us to look at uh, two uh, short scriptures. The first one is Romans 12.1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then this other verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I wonder if we thought of worship more this way. And I, I kind of wrote this, this next thing. So this is not scripture, but just it was helpful for me to kind of think about like, what is worship? What comprises worship? And so I, I, I wrote this. You can let me know if you agree with it or not. But to grow in our knowledge, love, and adoration of Jesus, to submit our lives to him, and then to dedicate all that we do to his glory. I think if our view of worship flows from these passages of Scripture, kind of a more holistic view of the things that are done for God's glory, um, our worship, you know? Um, so if we have that viewpoint, the things that we've just discussed, resting, work, creating, feasting, fellowship, these are all, when done to God's glory, acts of worship. And those things will continue on in the new heaven and new earth. Uh, the new heaven and new earth will not be absent of those things. So you as a human were created to fill a physical space in actual time forever with rewarding and joyful activity that is worshipful. But I think we can still acknowledge that there's a lot of mystery around eternity and what we'll do and experience because none of us has been, right? Um, and we said before that we're not going to answer all your questions uh, or be able to. But what I hope is that we can stir excitement and hope for what God has planned for us in the new heaven and new earth. You'll have eternity to know Jesus, to enjoy perfect relationships with other believers and fill your time with rewarding work in experiencing true rest. So church, if your faith is in Jesus, you have so much to be hopeful for. You have so much to be excited about when you consider your future. It is 
very exciting and hopeful, and it is an eternal hope without end, and that's good news. So let that be an encouragement to you. Meditate on that throughout the week. Um, talk about that more with your family and with others. Um, because those who have repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as their Savior and Lord will have a place in the new heaven and new earth. And there's no place uh, for sin in God's new creation, so it will be perfect. But um, sharing what we believe and our hope with other people is also very important. Because for those who have not repented of their sin, who have not confessed Jesus as their Savior, who have not put their their trust in Him, um, there is a place that is separate from God for eternity um, that we have to address and acknowledge as believers. And it's part of the thing that should motivate us to want to share the hope that we have in the gospel with other people. Um, so if this topic and this conversation stirs a lot of anxiety or uncertainty in you or doubt uh, that you belong to Jesus, that you placed your trust in him, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and restore you to God, I would love to talk with you about that. I'd love to pray with you. I would love for you to have an assurance that you know Jesus, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that God has really good things in store for you in the eternal uh, destination of the new heaven and new earth. Um, But if you have confessed your sin and your need for Jesus as your Savior, you are a follower of Jesus. And Jesus has given us, as his followers, a simple meal to take in remembrance of him. It's communion. So we're going to do that now. And there's crackers and juice and wine in the middle of the table. Um, This is a simple meal, right? A very simple meal that Jesus gave us. It is a meal that we are to take in remembrance of him and what he did for us when he lived and died on earth and rose again on earth. But it's also a meal that we take in anticipation of the great wedding feast uh, that we will experience with him in heaven. So I want you to take the bread, which represents Jesus's physical body, his flesh and blood, actually his indwelled presence here on earth. His body was broken for you on the cross. And his blood was shed for you. So I want you to take that bread. I want you to dip it in the juice or wine, and consider how Jesus' blood was shed for you to pay for your sin and to seal you as his child. And take and remember. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, forgive us when we uh, doubt your goodness when we believe that you would actually be boring, that you would not have good things in store for those who you love and care about. God, forgive us for um, doubting that you have good things planned for those you love. And God, instead, give us hope in what you teach us and what you reveal to us in your scriptures. Help us to encourage one another um, as believers, God. Um, Help us to share the hope that you've given us with other people that we walk through this life with, God, that we can be um, salt and light in our communities, God, to share the good news of what you have in store for those um, you love, God. Um, So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his, his life, 
death and resurrection, his sacrifice that has made us pure and clean before you, God, that restores us to you. And we thank you for the hope that we have in his resurrection, hope of new life, hope of new creation, hope of an existence uh, that's free from the curse of the fall and death, and hope for a new heaven and new earth, uh, a place where we will exist uh, with you forever and experience satisfaction and joy and contentment with you forever. Thank you for that hope and that promise that we have. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.